maybe just a slap in the face or a good stiff snort of reality because we're unconscious, we're unaware of, of really what's real and what's, what's actually going on and what's true and what's, and what's not. And we're, we're in many respects oftentimes, much like the old classic story, Sleeping Beauty, there, you know, under the spell, needing to be awakened by the touch, the kiss of Prince Charming. That awakening, uh, that dispelling may, may come in a tough way. It may come in a tender way. But either way, Jesus is glad to bring that dispelling and that awakening. Um, he sees that we just aren't seeing, or at least not seeing rightly. And so he will speak and does speak, force that we might be awakened. If you have your Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me now to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, this is the uh, first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels, Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. We are in a series within a series. Uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount within a larger series of the Gospel of Matthew. We are at the very end, the very, very end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and I checked it out. It was about, I think it was one year to the, the Sunday that we started the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so yeah, three chapters, but hey, it's, been, it's, it's rich stuff. So chapter 7, verses 21 to 27 is what we're going to look at here this morning. Uh, hear now God's Word. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Would you pray with me? Lord, our hearts echo much of the words of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Oh, we would long to bear fruit, not to wither, but to, to prosper, to not be like the chaff that the wind just blows away. Would you give us roots? Would you water us? Would you send the light of your Spirit upon us here in this place, in this time? We ask this in your name. Amen. To suspend your disbelief. To suspend your disbelief. What does that mean? 
What that means is, different ways to describe it, I'll just come at it like this. It means to, for at least a period of time, to be willing to believe what heretofore is the unbelievable. Okay? It's to be willing to believe what otherwise you would think to be unbelievable. It is to accept um, certain premises that you haven't bought into just yet. It is uh, to, to do that in order to, to enter into another world, perhaps so that you can enjoy that world. If you're talking about fiction of some kind or a movie or television, I mean, you think in terms of so much of what we go in, in the, the, the uh, cinema to we'll watch, you have to suspend your disbelief if you really think that Jason Bourne can do that or that Batman can do that or that Dory can actually talk or, or whatever it is. You know, to, to, to enjoy that, you've got to suspend your disbelief and be willing to, to enter into that world. But you also have to be willing to suspend your disbelief, to check your or question your, to drop your assumptions and preconceptions about things. You also have to be willing to drop your, uh, excuse me, suspend your disbelief if you're going to begin to understand another point of view and be willing to be challenged by it. You have to at least for a, a time suspend your disbelief. Now the reason I'm bringing that up is because of our text this morning. And if you're a, a thoughtful person, a concerned person, in tune with the, the spirit of our age, you may find what Jesus says here to be very exclusive and narrow, and perhaps even to be offended by the, the tone of what he's saying. Maybe not just the tone, but just the outright content of what he is, is saying here. I mean, our, our thought patterns are, uh, goes like this. It can easily go like this. Well, look, what he says can't be true. There's just no way what, the, that what Matthew says that Jesus is saying here can be true because what he is saying is so exclusive and, and narrow. Your, your, preconception, your preconception, your assumption is for things to be true, to buy into what a speaker, a teacher of any kind is saying, they have to be inclusive and broad. Jesus sounds exclusive and narrow, so therefore I shouldn't listen to him. I should reject it. I should ignore it. You see how that one thing falls from the other. Well, here's the problem. Friends, we are all exclusive and narrow. Every single one of us in this room. Every one of us. Well, how, how so? It goes like, it's, it's simply this. We all have assumptions. We all come to the table with preconceptions, preconceived ideas, presuppositions about this and that and the other, the other thing. We, we all see the world with the grid that we have, at least at this, this moment. And we therein assume that the world would be a better place, frankly, if these stupid people around me would just see things as I do. And as an implication of that, we then go about, in, maybe implicitly, maybe explicitly, trying to convince people, trying to persuade people to see things our way. You know what we are? By our own definitions, that is exclusive and narrow. We are all exclusive and narrow. Everybody is. So we're not really approaching things any differently than Jesus is. So I would then submit to you that perhaps we ought not to dismiss what he's saying, but maybe engage it. And maybe wrestle with it. 
And maybe think about it just here for a few minutes. We're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus, in the prior paragraph, has been warning us about the dangers of false teaching and false teachers. Here he is warning us about the dangers of being a false disciple. Here at the very end. He, he is not giving us new instruction, new teaching. What he is expressing is a concern regarding our response to the teaching instruction that he's already given. He is, is teaching here, he's speaking here with great clarity and authority. And we need to hear that we would know what actually matters in the end. Let me say that again. He is teaching here, he's speaking here. This is Jesus speaking here with great clarity, with great authority. We need to hear him that we would know from him what actually matters in the end. I'm breaking this down, you can see it in your outline, in two ways. That is, what doesn't matter, and then ultimately what does. Let's take these in turn. What, is not, what ultimately really doesn't matter? What doesn't matter? This may surprise you. What you say and what you hear ultimately don't matter. And Jesus makes that very plain. And what he says to us here. Verses 21 through 23, I'm going to read it again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On the day, that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did you not, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right, now what, what is Jesus getting at? What he's saying here is, is this, is that what we say is a necessary but not sufficient thing. That a verbal profession is important, but it's not enough. Now, what we say does matter in this sense. Our words, just everyday communication, our relationships with one another, our words do matter. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words That's a damnable lie. Our words have power. What we say does matter. In that sense, okay? And in actuality, also, we read in the New Testament that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have to be willing to profess what you believe and to be ready to give an account for what you believe. So in that sense, I'm just putting that, so put this on the shelf, in that sense, what we say does matter, but not in the sense that Jesus is speaking of here. Um, how it doesn't matter is in the sense that oftentimes what we say can be external and hollow and empty. Even the, the greatest of statements, even the greatest of deeds and works, as he speaks to here, can just be empty and, and meaningless. A verbal profession in and of itself is, is not enough. Nor is what we hear. Picking up in there in verses 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell. The floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Okay, again, what is Jesus getting at? Very much like the first point. What we say is necessary, but not sufficient. What we hear is necessary, but not sufficient. A, a verbal profession is important, but not enough. An intellectual knowledge is important, but not enough. 
It's not enough. Now, how does it matter? Again, qualification. I'm going to say this, then put up on the shelf. Faith comes by hearing. So there does need to be a hearing. Faith does come by, by hearing. And as we hear, we need to grapple with what we're hearing, wrestle with what we're hearing, the implications, the applications of, of all of that. We need to be willing to think and process all that. But again, in the sense in which Jesus is saying this, hearing doesn't matter. My friends, it is not enough to admire what Jesus says. It is not enough to study it. It is not enough to discuss it. It's not enough to have a big, fat, hairy bookshelf full of theological and philosophical tomes. That's not enough. We need to go deeper. There needs to be a foundation. What he's, this is where he gets into this parable, this little mini parable that Jesus tells at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount about the builders, these two different builders with the need to build this house. And one, you know, of course, then builds on, on rock and one builds on sand. And, and well, the idea being in the Near East, the ancient Near East, but still today, and especially in that region around the Sea of Galilee, which is where this is being taught there in the northwest quadrant of the Sea of Galilee, in a little place just outside of uh, Capernaum, on a hillside, in that region during the summers, you can have flat areas of really, really hard sand. I mean, it's really hard. But then the autumn rains will come. And whatever was built on that sand and the sand itself will be swept away. So we need to go deeper. There has to be a foundation. Hearing is not enough. Hearing is simply not enough. We need to, uh, to build on a foundation, a stem foundation that will weather the storms of this life and the storm of judgment in the next. And that is only in Jesus. Building on Jesus and His teaching, His finished work for us, His life and His ministry alone. Anything else doesn't matter. What we say doesn't matter. What we hear doesn't matter. Now these are—I know these are sobering words. This is strong, um, straightforward. But you know, we can fool our friends, we can fool our family members, we can fool ourselves, but we can't fool him. And he's not playing games, and he's not interested in a show. It just begs a very simple question regarding what we're doing here this morning. What are we doing here? We have sung songs. We have recited creeds. Is it real or are we just saying things? You think in terms of our activities just over the last several days and weeks and, and months. I'm hoping that you are in your Bibles regularly, daily. Okay, I'm going to grant that assumption. So you've been doing that. And some of our community groups have been gathering in different ways. And that's good. And here we are, right? Sunday morning, some of us were at classes. And that's good, too. And we even had a conference a few weeks ago. Relational Wisdom 360. And that's good, too. But are we just hearing? Is there any life to it? Is there any change coming from it? Jesus is turning the screws on us here. Pressing us. 
He is speaking. We need to hear that we would know what ultimately doesn't matter in the end. And that's just saying and hearing. Knowing what doesn't matter, but then of course what does. And there's two things there, and that is, and I'll explain it here in a second, who we know and what we do. Okay, let's look at who we know. Now, I know normally, just as a quick qualifier explanation, I know normally you think in terms of like making connections and networking. That's not what Jesus means here by a long shot. Uh, Verse 23. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, Now, think with me here what's implicit in what Jesus is saying here, Uh, the standard of judgment that he is saying. He he is saying, I'm the judge, okay? And if I know you, if there's a relationship, there's a reality between you and me, there is an eternal acceptance and embrace and welcome, but if I don't, there is eternal banishment and destruction. Now, that's an extraordinary claim when you think about it, that Jesus is making about himself. That it really all hinges on whether we know him. Right? But that's what he's saying. And he's not just making an extraordinary claim regarding himself and that, and the absolute necessity of knowing him. But think with me, also by implication, the absolute wonder of knowing Him. He's speaking here not just to Himself as the judge, but He's speaking to the reality that we can know Him. We can be in a secure and saving relationship with Him. And that is a wonder. Just a wonder when you think about what He is saying there. This is about who you know. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? That's part of what matters. And related to that is what we do. And this is a repeated idea in verse 21. And by the way, when it's repeated, emphasis, importance, pay attention. Verse 21, he speaks of the necessity of doing the will of his Father in heaven. And then again, we see something similar in verse 24, where he speaks of the necessity of doing His words. So, it is absolutely essential that we know Him and do. To know and and do a whole lot has to do with what we're doing. But now, let me explain this. A quick clarification. There's a ton assumed and implied here. First of all, who is the Sermon on the Mount for? If you go back and you read chapter 5, first couple of verses, you see the disciples... Those who are his followers, that's the audience. So this is not about doing this so that you can be a disciple. This is what just disciples do as followers. This is written to those who know themselves to be poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt. They're mourning their sin. This is written to people who know themselves to already be, by the grace of God, children of God, adopted into his family. You see that language of being his children and his father, our father in in heaven, all through, woven, interwoven, through the Sermon on on the Mount. Keep that in mind. That's what is assumed, what is implied. We'll put another way. The the biblical teaching regarding these kinds of things is is, our hope is not in our ongoing work. Our hope is in Jesus' finished work. 
We are saved through faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. A faith, a saving faith, is a faith that lives and breathes. That's not dead. It's a faith that works. You understand the, the subtlety there, but it's an important distinction. Not by works, but by faith that actually is working. Well, that's, that's all in the background. That's all assumed and implied in what Jesus is saying here when he says what ultimately is matters is not just who you know, but what you're doing, doing the words of his Father, doing his own words. Well, that's, again, what is ultimately matters. What matters is who you know and what you do. Now, the implication here, something worth thinking about here, is the necessity of having these things right and then the possibility of having them wrong. Now, that's problematic for us. I'm talking about this in the college and careers class earlier. That's really problematic for us to even talk in those kinds of categories. I'm going to date myself in using this analogy, uh, but maybe some of you have watched TV land, so you know what Happy Days is. And, and Henry Winkler, who played the Fonz, Arthur Fonzarelli, who was a prideful fellow and rode a motorcycle and rode, rode a leather, leather jacket and was really good with a comb and, and the girls and all of that stuff. I guess it went together. I don't know. But... Um, uh, but but the Fonz was, like, like I said, a prideful fellow. And there was this one episode where he, he told somebody the incorrect thing. He was challenged on it and needed to use, he needed to go to that person and say that he was wrong. But he literally could not say the word. He, he kept going, I'm roo, roo, roo. And if you remember singing, go look it up on YouTube. It's true. And so it's like that with us, but in a different sense. We can't say in our culture the, the, we can't handle the idea of being wrong because we can't handle the idea of anybody being right. And those categories just don't work for us any anymore. But Jesus is saying here so clearly, no. There's the danger of false teachers and the dangers of being a false disciple. And I'm telling you, there is sand you can build on and there is rock that you can build on. And you need to have this clear. Because the categories are real. I mean, given what Jesus is saying, we are not all climbing up the same mountain following different paths to God. That doesn't work. Not according to what Jesus is saying here. We either, according to Him, know Him or not. We are either building on rock or on sand on something that is solid or will wash away. And that's what he's saying. We need to hear this. Oh my goodness, do we need to hear this. It cuts so much against the grain of our cultural sensibilities, but my friends, does that, should that really, given who's speaking, should that surprise you? I mean, does Jesus really care about your cultural sensibilities? I'm not saying he's insensitive. That's not my point. But does he really care? No. He is much more about blowing up our cultural sensibilities. This is the God of the universe speaking. Do we really think that everything that he says is going to be consistent with what we think? No. We need to hear him. That we would know what matters in the end, and just wrapping this up, let me just end by saying this. It is impossible to exaggerate the importance of what Jesus is saying here at the end. 
Now, I know that sounds like an exaggeration, right? I just said, it's impossible to exaggerate the importance. That sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not. It's actually not. The stakes couldn't be any higher. It re they really couldn't. I know some of you know, obviously, because of my position here, my calling here as a pastor, that I, I'm all, having conversations all the time with people who, who, who want to talk about their life's work, you know, maybe getting advice and counsel about career plans and steps and calling. And, and so we, we talk about gifts and passions and experience and what people are saying, you know, feedback that they're getting and that kind of thing. That's really important. And then sometimes I have conversations with people about life partners or marriage. You know, what is marriage about? So we talk about that and this potential person that they're, it's not a potential person. <laughs> anyway, it's of the person, a potential spouse, and, and whether or not this is going to work and all, all those kinds of things. And, and, and that's important, right? I mean, life calling, life partner. These are huge issues, but you know what? They're nothing compared to this, to life, what Jesus is telling us about bare bones, bare essentials, life. And we need to hear him and reckon with what he's saying. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that it really would be so much easier just to stop and just say what we want to say and hear what we want to hear. It would be so much easier, so much comfortable just to stop short of actually doing anything. But not better. It's not what you intend. Rather, you intend for your words to take hold of us and take root in us to transform us that we would then bear fruit. We ask that you'd help us within the context of our security in you. We ask that you would help us to examine our lives and to see the areas where we are falling short here, to confess that and plead for your help. We ask for the humility first just to do that, lest we be stuck, imprisoned in the folly that would say, we don't need to do that. We pray that you'd make us into a people who, yes, are saying, but also doing. Yes, hearing, but also doing, and gladly, and humbly, and expectantly so. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask my fellow elders to join me down front here. We are going to be...